Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here from the Thriving Farmer Podcast. And today's guest is Sarah Conley, who is a retired police officer and current volunteer firefighter EMT who loves to keep the town vampire free with her small organic garlic farm in Northern Illinois. Run by Sarah, her wife, three kids, and mother, they grow several varieties of hardneck garlic and pride themselves in creating the first garlic grilled cheese and cheesy garlic bread farm drive through When not serving up their bodacious garlic, they're running their nonprofit, Harvesting Hope Project, which provides a safe place for vets and first responders to find hope and healing while battling PTSD, addiction, depression, and anxiety. Sarah, sounds like you're a very busy person. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Keeps me out of trouble. Oh, that's, 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 that's good, I guess. So how did you get started in the world of farming? In a long roundabout way. I grew up in a small town called Elburn in Northern Illinois. Um, we were in a farm town, not on a farm until I was 15. Okay. Um, we bought just shy of 10 acres in Caneville, the next small town over, had no, um, no intention of farming on it. My dad, uh, wanted to move our family business, which is oddly enough, a funeral home, uh, out to the country and wanted to build something called the, uh, what he was going to call the country cathedral. And so we could have all the funerals, visitations, but life celebrations. He was really Mm -hmm. into helping people like Mm -hmm. just mending hearts, however he could. Um, Mm -hmm. and so we had this piece of land and through a lot of county rejections and, and other things, the, the country cathedral didn't come to be, but, um, we still had the land and Mm -hmm. we, uh, ran his own non-for-profit county outreach off it. We did grief camps for kids, some other stuff. And um, I knew I wanted to do something with the land. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved being in the country. My first job was milking cows. Um, but then I saw Bad Boys 2 and decided I wanted to be Will Smith. So I mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> became a police officer out west in Seattle, um, but still loved the country out there. Mm-hmm. Um, found myself on the east side of the mountains in Ellensburg on a cattle ranch with another officer who happened to own it, um, just loving life. So uh, we lost dad in 2010 and I went, all right, well, somebody's got to go back and at least keep up the farm Mm -hmm. um, and help mom out. And so came back and every time I mowed, I was like, man, I wish I could grow something instead of mow something. (laughs) Mm, I love that phrase. (laughs) Grow something instead of mow something. Oh, that's a good one. Um, so just, uh, over the course of time, um, helping mom keep that up, we decided to move the whole, my whole family on there. So my wife and kids and, um, uh, did two years of research trying to figure out, uh, niche crops, Mm -hmm. um, all while being on the, uh, police force back home. I was on our County as a County deputy. Um, and it just became like my place of solace. Like when Mm -hmm. work was crazy, I was a hostage negotiator, um, when, when the life at work would go south, I could come home and just toil in the soil and, and life got better for me. Um, and so I, I 
researched for two years, niche crops. Um, there was a short list. I thought about mushrooms for a while and then decided that was a bad idea because I don't like mushrooms and it's hard to sell stuff. Let me say here, I heard this tastes good. <laughs> so, um, um, having the palate of a six-year-old, it got narrowed down pretty quick to, uh, to garlic. Yes, so, yeah. That was the long roundabout way to, to becoming a garlic farmer. Okay, so you did your research for two years, and so then how did you get the training to actually learn how to grow garlic? I did a lot of Googling. Okay. <laughs> there was, uh, there's, well, at the time, I didn't think anybody uh, in the area that grew garlic. Turns out, while I was buying the new tractor, they said, Sarah, what are you using this for? Said, I'm going to grow garlic. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Your neighbors are doing that, too. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Oh, wow. <laughs> So there's another garlic farm. I can see them from our farm. Um, Tony and Sharon are fantastic people. They were so sweet um, helping me get going. I wanted to make sure to meet them um, and not be the Hatfield and McCoys. Yep, yep. So um, through, through them and trial and error and lots and lots of Googling, uh, we learned something probably every day on the farm. We learn a lot of what not to do. <laughs> yes. Well, that's how we all start, right? Yeah. So, okay. So that's how you got started. Now talk to us a little bit. Do you just grow garlic or are there other crops that, that kind of fill in? Uh, just garlic. I've, okay. I really wanted to master one crop um, and it's easier. <laughs> My ADD will take me in a lot of directions that are 50% good <laughs> or mm. one direction super concentrated yeah. and I knew if I was going to make a real true go at this um, I needed to just concentrate on this one thing and get real good at it I've thought about a man a million times pretty much every time I listen to your podcast I'm like oh oh I could to I should totally do that too <laughs> <laughs> like I've thought about it all fresh cut flowers I think I just listened to the one on elderberries I'm like yeah I, I could totally do elderberries this is this is completely possible. Well, actually, um, right now, there's no elderberries for sale in the U.S., from what I understand. Oh, yeah. And actually, where you, are, you do have some good land out there in Illinois, so I'm not going to persuade you to. I'm just saying there are, there are possibilities. And it would actually fit really well with your cycle, your season cycle, because uh, I forget actually when you harvest, but it may be pretty close to when your garlic harvest is, so that might not work out too well. But they're relatively low maintenance. That's, that's what I was thinking. It sounds like it's almost a lot like garlic. Like you put it in and there's a lot of, you put it in and that's some hard work and yeah. then, well, a lot of hard work, but then you just kind of leave it be just like yeah. with garlic, you leave it be till it's time to harvest and then you work your butt off. But yeah. Um, yeah. yeah it's kind of low though. You only really get like, I believe it's seven pounds of fresh fruit per plant. So it's not a lot. There's not a lot. You have to get a pretty good hot price per pound to make it worth it. So that's why you usually have to do the end processing yourself. At least that's what I would recommend. But anyway, yeah, yeah I mean, we definitely want to put some elderberry in here in our hedgerows and stuff just for the, um, the aspect of having it for ourselves. But um, yeah. 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 There's, I could, I get interested in so many other things, but um I just keep plugging away at this and have decided when I want to try other stuff, we do a little side garden. Um, and like this year we did a side garden and my youngest and I put some radishes in and man, that's a 30 day turnaround. And these things came out huge. And I looked at her and I'm like, Adeline, why aren't we radish farmers? <laughs> <It's easier." laughs> 
<laughs> yes, exactly. So let's talk production systems. What equipment do you use on the farm? Uh, we've got a Kubota tractor that I'm absolutely in love with. Okay. Um, it's the L4701. It's yep. just under, I think it's like 47 horsepower. It's just enough for what we need. Uh-huh. Um, could probably gotten a little bit bigger one, but we use a 48 inch tiller on the back with the PTO. Yep. Um, to prep the bed or prep the fields. And then, um, we have an undercutter, a home homemade undercutter. We built one and then a buddy of mine who used to do potatoes gave us his and it's a little okay. bit smaller, but the way it's a little bit smaller, but it goes deeper. Uh-huh. Um, and it just, it gives a great lifting for harvest because otherwise we're digging those bad boys by hand. Yes. And that's a pain. Okay. So what's your spacing? Um, We're doing six inches um, each direction and we'll do um, five plants in a row in a bed. till you're five across. And then um, as far as we can go in the way that in the direction we've tilled for the year, we're, we're going the short direction. Um, we're going okay. north to south because we have it at hills going yep. east to west. Um, so when we found out our first year, we just, there's so much erosion if you're not putting plastic down that um, it really helps to almost contour farm, even when it's just a little bit of a grade. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then you're, it's more like you're on like a 30 inch bed system and uh yeah with the the thought the, it's like five rows across six inches by six inches and then when do you plant so we are ramping up to now we'll be okay as close as we can to the the first uh good weekend in october we've made the mistake last year our first two weeks in october were beautiful but yeah. i was like nope i want to get in late i want to get i don't want them to sprout I was too yeah. worried about the warm weather yeah yeah and, yeah uh, we just got hosed. The last two weeks was just a monsoon. Oh, we were yeah. in the mud. Things were flooded out. We almost had a total crop loss this year. By the grace of God, we had um, about a thousand plants come up. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so we learned our lesson last year. So I'm looking at October 1st, I think is on a Thursday and I'm contemplating taking off work for my full-time job just to, yeah. just to get in right on the 1st. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We always, I think we're trying to do Columbus Day when we were in New York in zone four. So what zone are you out there? We're 5B. Okay, you're 5B. So you're slightly warmer than us. Um, but yeah, I get that not wanting to get monsooned because that's, uh, that is worse than not getting in at all. Oh, yeah. I'll take an early sprout over yeah. soaking wet feet. I learned my lesson. Yeah. So, all right. So let's talk varieties then, because you do a number of varieties. I looked at your website. Um, do you have a favorite or are they like kids? You can't have a favorite kid. Uh, like kids, it just depends what you're doing. Okay. <laughs> uh, if I like the Georgian fire yep. um, across the board. It's just got, it's got good flavor and enough little bit of heat on the back end where it just, it, it survives cooking. We uh-huh. found that um, raw garlic tastes so much different than the, than when you roast it or you cook it. It all depends on the kind of heat you put it to. And uh, the the Georgian fire just stands up to it all. Uh, the uh-huh. best raw, I would say, is chestnut red, hand, uh-huh. hands down. Um, okay. That's absolutely delicious raw, but you'll lose the flavor in that if you, you leave it in the heat too long. Gotcha. Okay. Now fertility, what are you doing for fertility for the beds? 
Uh, we're doing, uh, sometimes we get some seaweed, liquid seaweed out there okay. um, for bed prep. And uh, we have our own horse and goat manure pile that we have going. Okay. Um, so we try to, we were actually going to spread that uh, last month to get it in, but I happened to have learned something. <laughs> uh, some real smart guy said that when you put manure with a lot of weed seed in it into uh, the ground, it just moves the weed seed. Yes. So yeah, we're not going to make that mistake this year. Uh, okay. Our, our, we do soil tests um, yep. uh, just about yearly, depending, because we do a field rotation or a crop rotation. So yep. um, this year we tested the fields and they look, they work real good as is, so we won't have too much for soil amendments. But I mean, we're, we're in our third growing season, so it's not like it's been depleted much. But we're planning for the future with, with a lot of um, yeah. green manure and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So because of the, the larger uh, property you have, you're able to do a lot longer rotations, which allows you to do more cover crops, which allow you to manage the fertility that way. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, and really, then, like, I'd really like to get into the, um, those daikon radishes, the chilling yep. radishes. I saw those. I couldn't get my hands on enough seed this year, but I would have loved to put those in as a cover crop. They just seem genius. Yeah. Actually, that reminds me that I need to order our cover crop because our sunflowers are going to be done in about four or five days. And then when we uh, plow that all down, well, we're just going to knock it down and then we'll no-till into that um, a four-way cover crop mix. So I need to remind myself cool. to see if I can find some daikon. Um, yeah. Um, okay. So then do you mulch the fields at all or you bear cultivate? Oh, uh, we bear cultivate. Um, well, we've tried both. Um, okay. I don't like just having the bare ground cause we get the frost heave mm. and it pushes the, it pushes our, our cloves up. Yep. Um, and, but we did a, a plastic mulch one year and that man, we chased that plastic all over Hill and Dale. So we, I built, uh, our own mulch layer plastic okay. mulch layer um and last year it just it wasn't laying right where it was just a comedy of errors but i think mm. we've got some good adjustments on it this year and we're going to try the the black mulch um i think we're running two millimeter um uh -huh. and we'll and then we made like a planter to go over it that doesn't actually plant it just pokes the holes yep yep like a double so, wheel or something yeah, and so we'll we'll give that a shot. But then I just saw I think it's Cornell University put out something on um using white plastic as opposed to black. Well, that's interesting. So if you can forward that to me, that would be great because I was just looking at some older Cornell styles uh trials and they said the white actually had a little bit of decrease yield compared to the black. That was like maybe four years ago, but you're saying this most recent is saying white's even better than black? Yeah, that's that's what I was reading it. Maybe it wasn't, I think it was Cornell. I'll, yeah, I'll no, they, they do a lot of research and actually Crystal Stewart, who's the garlic. Um, I don't know if she's like the main garlic person there, but I actually had her on maybe last year or the year before on the podcast to talk about it, but interested. Yeah. If you can send that to me after this, that'd be fabulous. So I can just see the latest stuff. Cause I ordered both black and white and I was going to do a side by side comparison because, you know, of course I have to know for myself. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's what I want to do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Very cool. So then we've got, you got the, you're going to do the plastic and uh, then scapes. Do, when do you pull scapes or do you not? 
Oh, we definitely, we cut scapes. Um, we keep an eye on them. It's in June. When in June kind of depends on, on how the weather's been, but we look for the curly cues and mm-hmm. we see how far around they come and see, um, we'll cut them before the heads really start to, to push. Yep. Um, and we, we were very fortunate our first year. Um, Mark out at Rustic Roads uh, near us, he, I got a hold of him our first season and heard they had a, right on his website, they had a total crop loss. And they talked to him and he's like, yeah, well, we've got some scapes, but we'll take whatever you have. And mm. that, I, I didn't realize the gold mine that I had then. It's, yeah, man, everybody wants them. So he saved our butt that year. This year we decided to try and make it because we didn't have as many. Yep. Just make it into stuff. We make a really good um, pesto. Yep. That we sell and people just go gaga over it. Very but I'll cool. Tell you, I'll tell you one thing that we learned the hard way. Do not freeze those. <laughs> okay. Um, they turn takes, mushy? Yeah, they get, well, and it's not even definitely mushy, but it's like it sucks all the flavor out of them. Okay. They just, they don't freeze, like, you can freeze bulbs and you can freeze cloves. Yeah. But the scapes, there's, there's really no bringing them back. Okay. Okay. All right. So let's talk a little bit about um, the side of your business that's like the, the ready to eat slash the drive through. I'm very interested in how <laughs> that got started. Um, that's what happens when you're sitting around uh, during the COVID quarantine and you have not a whole lot of crop that's going to come out of the ground. Yeah. Um, and you're like, man, what can I do? Uh, you know, restaurants, they weren't big for us anyway, but just all our, our avenues, we weren't sure if they were going to be open. And so yeah, everybody loves cheesy garlic bread. So yeah. we like, what can, let's get people out. Let's get them out to the country, get them some fresh air, make some, it was really all about just getting people out, making them smile. Yeah. Um, if we can do that and sell some garlic, man, that's, that's making something out of nothing. So it started with the cheesy garlic bread only. Um, and we would, my sweet mother was doing wind sprints. We thought I could do it on the grill. Um, that's a big fat. No, uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, cause it just takes too long. So she's doing wind sprints into our house to the broiler in the oven on the broiler setting every minute and a half she was having trays come out oh wow and folks just came out in droves it was absolutely incredible and so we've been doing one every month ever since and um found that if they like the cheesy garlic bread i thought well that's another thing that people just love just makes them it's just makes them happy i always think of grilled cheese yeah good comfort food um and man, we love making our garlic butter. So I thought we'll slather some garlic butter on that too. So now we do um, hot garlic grilled cheese. And I, I do that on uh, a large skillet on our grill outside. And then we do, we call them take and bakes. Okay. We do the cheesy garlic bread, only we do it take and bake style. So you can get those, keep them in your refrigerator, and then eat your grilled cheese on your way home. Okay, very cool. Now, do you ever put any of your pesto on that? We don't put it on it, but every drive-through we try to change up and sell some value added. Like when okay. the skates were in season, we did skate pesto. We've done garlic cream cheese. This last time it was uh, garlic butter. 
Yep. So always, always like an add-on, and people are, are really loving that because it almost holds them over until our next drive-through. Okay. Now the let's uh, legality of this is this all uh, is it an inspected kitchen? Or are you just doing this under the radar? It's all under cottage food. Our okay. cottage food laws out here. So because it's made on the farm, uh-huh. um, we label it with like the the take and bakes and stuff. They um, labeled with what's in it. Same with uh, like the garlic butter because there's it's heavy cream, salt, and garlic. So yeah, um, as long as we make it on the farm, we fall under and sell it on the farm. It's cottage food law. So that's okay. that's another reason why we we make it a drive through and we're not going yeah. someplace with it. Yeah. And yeah. so how are you advertising for this? Is this through word of mouth or email or uh, Facebook? All Facebook right now. We have Instagram, but I'm terrible at it. Because okay. I was a, a cop for so long, like I thought social media was the devil. So mm. I never had it until we started the farm. And my friend told me, look, you can't have a business unless you have social media. Yeah. And so it's all – all Facebook because it's about the only thing I understand right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but it's been going like, like gangbusters people word of mouth. Yeah. Um, it's just, we've been really blessed and that's why I call them our farm family because mm-hmm. it's just, they're, they're just invested in the story and the family um, and the product. It's just really cool. So unpack a little bit being a cop and the version of social media. Is that because of what it can uh, spawn or just how misinformation travels through that or? Yeah. So often I would be on calls where, you know, kids were being bullied. People were being stalked. The last uh, four and a half years of my career, I was actually the school resource officer at our Um, local school where I actually graduated from. Okay. Um, And just the kids that would come that would come in just crushed by what was coming in on this i was always seeing the negative and you have mm. like the anonymous threats coming in like social yeah. media it was i guess it was job security basically because i always had something going because of what was coming up on that wow and yeah and i wanted to besides that i wanted to protect myself and my family i didn't want mm-hmm. to be found I just, it was easy to stay hidden that way. I'm off the radar. You can't find me if I don't have social media. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of cops like that. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, uh, or they have a different name on social media. Yeah. Yeah. My wife and I recently watched the social dilemma. Um, I don't know if you've seen that. That's on, I think, is it on Netflix right now? Um, I think it is. Yeah, so we watched it, and it's incredibly eye-opening. I mean, again, 90% of our advertising is done through Facebook. I mean, we spend a lot of money on Facebook every year. And so in one aspect, I'm like, we use it. But another aspect, I'm seeing what it can become and just how it divides everyone and how bad yeah. that is for us. But um, so it's, it's just one of those things that I, I don't think there's a the right answer for that. Um, because yeah. in one aspect, I've met so many people through social media, and it's great to be able to connect. But it's so polarizing. It is so polarizing, unfortunately. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, Thriving Farmers. Have you checked us out on YouTube lately? We have a bunch of new content there, including a few rants by me. I uh, want to tell you, you don't want to miss them. Um, I actually go rant about you know some of the problems I see in our space and some of the challenges I see farmers uh, facing. So go check that out. We've got instructional videos over there as well. Talk about setting up our new farm here in Ohio and all the steps we're going to do that, as well as just tutorials and tips on best practices for 
all sorts of things on the farm. So go ahead, check over at Growing Farmers on YouTube and see the new content we put together for you. All right, so let's talk about management. So there's always, you know, endless tasks to be done on the farm. How do you make sure you focus on what's the most vital thing every day? Um, and you work, because you work full-time off farm, right? Yeah, I do. Um, now, just in retirement, I just do maintenance, actually, through our okay. school district, which is fantastic because it's low stress and mm. and it's easy to get time off. Nobody cares yeah. about seniority and nobody, like, there's no... No, I always had the fear if I took a day off from, from police work, I was like, man, who's going to protect these kids? Who's going to, mm-hmm, what if mm-hmm. there's a big call? What if I miss something? Now I'm like, all right, well, you know, that light ballast isn't going to get rewired, but it'll be okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 I get that. One of those low stress jobs. Yeah. So, so yeah. Now, so managing all that, that allows you to put the farm forefront then. Yeah, absolutely. Can concentrate on it and even my work hours, I don't go in until nine. So I get up early and try to get um, just the business side of things done and get a jump on, like right now, just a jump on our machinery maintenance, make sure everything's dialed in. So the second we can get in the ground, yep, we can. But if it weren't for lots of lists, my wife and Adderall, I don't know if I would get anything done. <laughs> yes, I get that. <laughs> the list aspect is is so key. Now, um, what would you say, you know, as you started this farm, what's the hardest thing been? The unknowns. Mm. Uh, just because you don't know what you don't know and mm-hmm. not having, it's not like I'm growing coin, corn or, or soybeans. Yeah. Um, Tony and Sharon were amazing um, helping me out, but also I'd I don't want to just bug people all the time mm-hmm, trying to figure mm-hmm. out stuff on my own, but it's, it's those unknowns and finding out you need, you can't soak that stuff more than 24 hours. Or if you do, you're not going to have the, the bulb size when it, when it grows out mm-hmm. um, and starting small. Yes. So how, how big the first year, how many clothes did you plant? <laughs> well, I'll put it to you this way. Um, I, I'm very much a, a, an optimist. So I ordered 750 pounds of garlic. Um, the first ridiculous? year. Yeah, the very first year. Never planted it before in my life. And I was like, yeah, go big or go home. I will take 750 pounds of your finest seven varieties. <laughs> okay. And, uh, yeah. Um, needless to say, like, I think uh, 50 or 60 pounds just came in bad. And my seed supplier, um, actually a huge shout out to Keen Organics. They've, I, uh, that's who I get my seed from when I, okay. when I'm not, uh, saving back when yep. I don't have enough and they've always been so good. They, so like 50 didn't get in the ground, um, just because it was, it was bad that year. Um, yeah. and, uh, but then 250 didn't make it into the ground because I didn't know what I was doing. Mm. <laughs> and so I think we yielded out of all of that. I think we took in like 6,000 plants. Okay. Yeah. So had I had an investor, I would have lost my butt. So it was pretty great that I wasn't able to get any before I started. Mm. Um, so there wasn't that it, there was the disappointment in myself, Yeah. but I didn't have someone else that I needed to pay back breathing down my neck. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can absorb the loss yourself and be like, okay, well, that was uh, what it was and, and move yeah. on. Never going to do that again. Yeah. And then yes. the next year we were able to save enough back and then um, purchase just a little bit more um, that we were, we put in, I think we harvested 9,000 plants mm-hmm. in our second season. So right now, I don't know why I have it in my head. I have to know the actual plant count. Um, a lot of people go by weight. I can yeah. tell you exactly how many plants we put in and how many we take out. Gotcha. So if there, let's say it was a reset button, what would you go back and do differently the first year? Uh, I'd buy a lot less seed. Um, okay. <laughs> um, I would do, I mean, I thought I had it all figured out from all my Googling, but I, I would have sought out some more garlic farmers. Um, I, I think I definitely would have gone up to the seed company and learned from them sooner mm. um, and just really got all my systems ready to go. Even when it comes down to bulb tracking, I mean, oh, I have the best friends in the world. My children go to hide um, yeah. <laughs> when it comes to bulb cracking because people don't understand it's, it's, it's all by hand. We, yes. we messed around with making our own bulb cracker last year. I forget where I found it, but after literally hours and hours of searching the internet, I found um, the schematics. Some, I think it was a university. Okay. Some university had come up with to make your own bulb cracker. Um, so we tried, tried that, but it wasn't, we weren't using the most precise methods. It was mm. kind of cobbling together what we yeah. had pieces from bicycles and, and shafts that weren't probably straight enough but we had a chain driven motor and I'm hoping to get that dialed in for this year. But man, if I could go back and have that built and ready to go, that would save us so Mm -hmm. many hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's actually several companies now selling pre-cracked garlic seed. Yes. So that's what we actually bought for this year for our places. We bought, I'm buying some locally that will hand split. And then I bought some that's actually coming. they, They crack it like two days before they send it. Yeah. And I know the farmer pretty well. um, So I know the quality will be there, um, but it's going to be, I'll, yeah, we're going to try it for a year and see if how we, how it works out. That's awesome. It's those machinery to do it on a commercial scale is so expensive Uh and it's so hard to get in. Yeah. If you can find a guy that'll do it for you, that's phenomenal. Well, the thing is, is there's just not enough people growing garlic in the U.S., which I think is sad because the yeah. garlic that we grow is just so, so much better than what's coming out of, let's say, Gilroy, California, or uh, sadly, a lot of the organic garlic comes from China. Yes. And we know that well, the certification processes over there are just not what they are in the U.S. No. It's, so, yeah, yeah, so it was interesting. I, was, I forget who I was talking to um, because a lot of mushroom blocks now come out of, Ch- of China as well. So they're basically shipped the, ch- the blocks over. Wow. They fruit them here in the U.S. And um, one of the, I guess there's a conversation going back and forth between someone that came from China and they were saying, yeah, I would not use our blocks for mushrooms. He said, <laughs> you have no idea what actually goes into them. There's, yeah, literally do not buy them because they're just that oh, bad. Man. Um, but yeah, I mean, you look at the, some of the, you know, the, the heavy metals, you look at some of this stuff, especially those mushrooms are so sensitive, but garlic yeah. again also will take it up. Garlic's a relatively shallow rooted crop. And yeah. so it will just pull up all those what's in the soil, which is kind of scary on, on, on many aspects as well. Oh, absolutely. And you never know what they're, they're treated with. And yeah. I think uh, the biggest eye for me is 
when I decided to grow, it was learning there's, there's hard neck and there's soft neck and, mm-hmm. and the huge difference between the two and why, you know, soft neck is in the grocery stores because it yeah. has a ridiculously long shelf life, but mm-hmm. the, the flavor profile and the taste is just so different. And I think mm-hmm. that's the one, the one complaint I've had from people is <laughs> they get mad because now they, it's like, they know what garlic should taste like. Yes. So when we're sold out and they're stuck with whatever's in the grocery store, there's like this, this is, what am I going to do for the next nine months? This is I ridiculous. Know. They're very upset. Yes. Yeah. 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 So let's talk about uh, promotion. So if you're doing for your, like your drive-through, you're doing that through Facebook for selling the garlic. Has that been through Facebook as well? Did you do farmer's markets? Has it all been from the farm? It's all been um, Facebook and, and word of mouth. We have a really good um, uh, farm market, like a okay. produce stand, um, yeah. Wiltsies, and they're just, man, less than 10 minutes away. And it's, it's great. Uh, I used to be on the fire department with uh, some of the folks that are on over there. And so there's this great camaraderie just even amongst farmers. And then you mm-hmm. add that first responder level. Um, and so they gave me a shout when they heard I was growing that first year and we sell like gangbusters out of there. That's selling. We, so we sell wholesale to them and okay. then um, they sell from there. And I love that. Cause it's, it's like a, super hyper local where you can you're helping to feed two local farmers by with one purchase mm-hmm. so um we sell out of there there's another local uh there's a specialty butcher um over in Kelb, which is not too far from us they sell um they sell for us and then most of it otherwise is just straight from the farm online ordering from our website and then they just hear about it from facebook mm-hmm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very cool. So let's, now one last question I had about the drive-through. Do people book spots or do they just like you tell them the time and they just line up? So we do both. The first time was just like an all call. It was a free for all. Yeah. Um, and then to help us with numbers and to actually make sure we cover the cost of goods, um, we do a pre-sale and oh. That guarantees you. So we'll open up a pre-sale. We usually do it about a week ahead of time. Yep. Um, we'll open it up and get it out there. And we say, you do the pre-sale and it guarantees you your bite of bodaciousness. Yes. Um, so no matter what, we know we're getting that many, you know, sandwiches or take and bakes ready and those are going to sell. Um, but then right now our number, our numbers for pre-sale and then our numbers of just, just drive up sales, point of sale are almost even. Okay. So if we, so like this last drive through, I think we sold, it was over 250 sandwiches between cheesy garlic bread and, and the garlic grilled cheese. Very nice. Very yeah, nice. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's a season saver. Yeah. What would you say the biggest mistake beginning farmers make is? Uh, they go too big, too fast. Mm, so just um, slow it down. Yeah, if you're definitely pick one thing or or a handful and of of stuff and just I mean really nail down the processes. And when you start, don't don't buy 750 pounds of garlic that you've never grown in your life before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's well, 
file that under poor life choices. Um, <laughs> well, at least there was um, no vampires in that your county for that we, year. <laughs> yeah, we saved a lot of folks. Okay, <laughs> I'm very proud of that. <laughs> yes, yes. What would you say would be your favorite farming tool? Welder, hands down. Okay. Uh, just because, like I said, the machinery is so expensive and uh -huh. it's so niche. I've looked into those, um, like the Jang cedars. Uh -huh. I've looked into all, all the stuff that I hear other farmers talking about. And I haven't found a way to make that work for me yet. But what I can do is look at the, the big expensive machinery and try to dumb it down a little bit and then build it myself. And uh -huh. If I didn't have that welder, that wouldn't happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm very thankful that um, I was able to buy a small, well, it's a MIG TIG and stick welder that does all three nice. a couple of years ago. And uh, that has been invaluable just for, I don't use it anywhere near like I'd like to, but for just little bits here and there. And then we're super lucky to have a relatively large machine shop directly across the street from us. Oh, cool. So yeah, pretty much anything I need. I mean, they do, they do high tolerance stuff over there. So like, you know, within thousands of an inch. So I don't need anything like that. Oh, but, wow. um, but yeah, anything I can dream up, they can literally just say, okay, yeah, let's, let's get it for you. Um, and uh, yeah, it just being able to do that, that, um, that manufacturing and just figuring out and try, like, well, this, will this work? Because yeah. the thing is, I mean, if it will work, then there's obviously someone else that probably can use the same thing and be able to share that as well across the industry. So that's very, a very fun aspect of things. It's I, my favorite thing to do is tinker. Yes. Yes. There's a fair <laughs> number of farmers that that's why we got into farming so we can play around in the shop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about your nonprofit. You've got one called it's harvesting hope project. How did that get started? That was actually born, I guess, out of a, a selfish need. Um, back uh october it's almost been a year now i i retired early because uh i struggle with with ptsd um mm. from the job and uh last last the june 2nd of 2019 i went and and finally gave up my solo battle and went and got help um mm. and and went to a treatment center just for va and first responders um and it just it changed my life it Mm. saved my life, saved my marriage, my family. And when I came back from that, I realized that um, there's really no safe place for for first responders to go. And I know vets have places, but usually have to go into the big city. Mm -hmm. um, Which can for, be scary. For help. Yeah. And it's, you know, and it's not just PTSD. It's, it's guys struggling with addiction and it's the, um, and depression. So many of the traps that we fall into. Mm. Um, as first responders and just you can't even if you want to get help for addiction and you go to an AA meeting like you just can't go to an AA meeting because what happens if there's a guy that you pulled over in there you know mm -hmm. um, and you just there's so much stigma around it and there's there's so much that you can lose by asking for help um, mm -hmm. I just I wanted others to be able to to feel what I felt and to have a safe place to go and to have, you know, maybe, maybe going to a treatment center isn't what you need or what you can do, but you should have a safe place where you can go weekly or monthly and talk to your family of first responders, talk to your, your, your brothers and sisters in the military and, 
just be candid and have people that understand and beyond that let their families come because um i tell you what's pretty amazing is to watch my daughters talk to um other other first responders that struggle with ptsd and have their like to see the light come in their eyes and go oh okay my, my mom is not the only one like mm-hmm. we're she's i mean she's crazy but she's not that weird after all <laughs> yes um, yeah so talk about your family a little bit. They help with the farm a lot, right? Yeah. Uh, sometimes begrudgingly. Um, uh, we get the, the kids hate to weed. We okay. do a lot of that. But um, I kind of run the, the outside stuff and um, kind of the, the operation side. My mm-hmm. wife takes care of the books and the logistics and keeping me in line. But she's also the first one to be out there planting with me. Um, same with my mom. Um, she's mm-hmm. fantastic. She's, she's out there with us, hands and knees, putting stuff in the ground. Um, my 11-year-old daughter, she's, uh, I call her my little farmer. She's the one um, that loves animals and loves to be, to be out and doing things. So I'm trying to teach her the ways of the, the operations. Mm. Um, my 14-year-old daughter is, she's kind of built like her mom. She's got, um, just has a head for numbers and she thinks like she's been helping with the drive through and she's like, Oh, what if we try this for marketing or what if we try that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to feed that part in her. So everybody has a, has a place on the farm. And then my son, um, he's mechanically inclined. So he's always out there helping me fix and or break things <laughs> Okay. <laughs> with, um, with the, with the machinery, whether we're building it or, or just putting it to use out in the field. So kind of mm-hmm. like a, everybody's, everybody's got a place. Yeah, that's great because when you can own your place, that's when you really feel like you've got your, your own little niche on the farm. Yeah, and then, and then it's not, oh, we have to go out and do this. It's, oh, yeah, nobody really likes to weed, but, you know, I get to do, you know, the marketing or this means I get to run the tractor or they just mm-hmm. see the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Would you say that now is the best time to start a farm? I'd say absolutely. Um, just because, man, at least when I was, you know, in high school coming out, nobody talked about small farming. You know, 20 years ago, you didn't hear about the small farmers. And right now we're just in this small farm explosion. And it's, um, I think, how people are understanding the value of homegrown food. So if, if you have any inclination to get out in there and do it, now's the time because the the general population is so receptive to it right now mm-hmm. 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 absolutely they are they are and right now with the whole covid thing a lot of the farmers we're working with are just seeing unprecedented demand um, oh yeah i was talking to one of my friends and he was saying michael he says literally i could i could sell so much more i mean every single week he sells out at the farmer's market and he's bringing in you know multiple multiple six um four figures a week. Um, yeah, it's just incredible just to see the demand that these farmers are seeing um, because people are, are cautious about buying from long distances away. Um, yeah. And uh, I think they're just now a little bit less trusting of the system as it were. Absolutely. And yeah. wanting to know, I think now in this information age, knowing where it actually comes from, like learning yeah, that garlic comes from China and 
was probably peeled by a prisoner. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, the aspect of social media allows you to instantly, you know, FaceTime with your farmer. I mean, how cool is that? Yeah. Um, that's something that we're going to be trying to do here is like, you know, during the season, once we get going a little bit more, but have like a weekly farm tour with the farmer, you know, um, something we're actually getting installed this week is farm wide um, industrial speed Wi-Fi. That's awesome. Yeah. So we're having some, oh, you know, yeah. some, some points put on the buildings and stuff and running some wires and stuff. So that way that we can literally um, be able to uh, be out in the field and just do the, we could do a, a live farm walk with people. Um, you know, if they don't want to come out, obviously our goal is to get as many people on the farm. Um, and so it's right. been so fun because we have the sunflowers going on right now. And every single night we have the cars line up to come out and see the sunflowers. Oh, but it's also one of those things that like, okay, so how do we expand this throughout the entire season to get people out here? Because again, it's so important. People don't even know how sunflowers grow. Right? Um, everyone thinks they track the sun and I'm like, well, they track the sun until they actually open. And when they open, they stop tracking the sun. They always face East. Um, or they think that, you know, when sunflowers, uh, when it's rainy out, the sunflowers face each other to kind of share their sunshine with each other. And I'm like, that is the most biggest thing of crock ever. <laughs> I was like, stop sharing those memes. That's a lie. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, our nation, our world has just gotten so divorced from understanding where their food comes from and what actually food is. Oh, yeah. And I mean, the, the, the current craze for fake meat. Um, oh. when, we, when we really think about, you know, like, oh, we can grow lab meat. And I'm like, yeah, how is that good? That's uh, gross. Yeah. Lab meat. You, those two words should not go together. <laughs> they should not, but the, unfortunately, I think it's Impossible Burger is raising billion or millions and millions and millions of dollars in funding because everyone thinks it's the way of the future. But what they don't realize is that the reason, anyway, there's so many reasons why we need more cattle grazing and less corn. Yeah. So, all right. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for your time today. Um, is there anything else that I should have asked today that I missed? And I think... Uh... I think you hit it all. I was just super excited to be on here. I got to tell you, when I'm when I'm at work, I do a lot of mowing, and I am literally listening to this podcast nonstop. Well, that's awesome. Glad that you yeah. enjoyed. Yeah, it's like a university on a tractor. Okay, I'm gonna start. Uh, I'm gonna start using that in our our sizzle reels for <laughs> you know advertising. Awesome. Where can people find out more about you and your work? Facebook for sure. At, okay. Um, Conley Farms, Caneville. Um, also our, our website is conleyfarmscaneville.com. Um, yeah, or just, uh, reach out and give us a shout because I love talking garlic and, and farming and, uh, harvesting hope project with, with anybody that'll listen. All right. Well, again, Sarah, thank you for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. Looking to start or grow your farm business. You need a compelling farm plan that you can share with investors, convince your significant other with or just to give yourself peace of mind. We have created a new program called the Start Your Farm Intensive. 
In it, you'll learn how to develop your farm idea to make sure you take all the factors into consideration for your context and your climate. You'll learn how to craft a one-page business plan that helps clearly define your target customer and lay out the necessary characteristics of your business. You will understand the three financial documents that every farm needs to fill out to make sure you are making money. And we'll give you all that as templates too. So you have the templates to fill out for your farm business. We'll also go through funding. So where to go for funding for the various stages and parts of your business. Starting a farm is hard. Starting a farm without a proven plan is almost impossible. Join us today. Go to growingfarmers.com forward slash start for more information. Now, what did past students have to say? Corey says, the exercises and spreadsheets helped me make the learning process easier and more real. Jenna says, I gained the support system and resources I needed for when I'm ready for the next step. And finally, the worksheets make you think out every aspect of the business step by step. Go ahead, join us today, growingfarmers.com forward slash start. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael here. So next week on the podcast, I'll be joined by Ali Barker to talk about farming in Alaska. Ali farms in a place where it gets very cold during the wintertime, as well as she doesn't get sunlight for multiple months because it goes behind the mountain. So we'll talk all about the farming she does, talk about some of the animals she raises, the vegetables they ferment, um, their root cellar, and just the challenges they've gone through with farming in a very inhospitable climate. So there you have it, another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer Podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.